Hey, so glad uh, to be able to continue on, and actually we're going to finish our series today. Grab a Bible, go to Romans 13, and as you're doing that, let me just say happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend remembering the blessings that we have because we have the opportunity to live in, in this country where there's a freedom to worship. Uh, I'm so grateful for that. Every time I think of this, I think of a movie. It doesn't really go together at first when you think about it, but I think of the movie Remember the Titans. Uh, if you've ever watched it, and if you haven't, I'd recommend it. It's a, it's a football movie, and uh, it's a football movie about a school that was trying to integrate white students and black students, and it was all about the football team trying to integrate the students. And they brought in a head coach played by Denzel Washington, a black head coach. And as you can imagine, it did not go well. Things were not smooth at first. Uh, he wanted to find a solution to unify his team. He took him away to a, a camp where they had like football camp. And, it, and things only kind of got worse as they were there. Everybody sat at their own table. You know, the black students here, the white students here. So one night he got this idea in the middle of the night. He woke them all up. He woke them all up uh, in the middle of the night and they went for a run and they ran and they ran and they ran and they ran. And if you watch the movie, you know where this is heading. And then they were so dog tired and he ended up on the edge of a battlefield. And that battlefield was Gettysburg. And he gave a speech that was awesome. He looked at his team and he said, anybody know what this place is? They're all dog tired. He said, this is Gettysburg. This is where the Battle of Gettysburg was fought. 50,000 men died right here on this field fighting. The same fight we seem to still be fighting amongst ourselves. This green field he pointed at. Right here was painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. And then he says, listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen and you take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed, just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other, he says. And maybe, I don't know, just maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. What Denzel Washington was saying to them on that edge of that battlefield was this. He said, what happened then and there needs to somehow impact what's happening here and now. And when I think about that, I think about Memorial Day and I think about Romans 12. I think in a real sense, that's what Paul's been doing here in Romans. He's taking them on a theological run, so to speak, into the battlefield of the gospel. He spent 11 chapters just running through the battlefield of the gospel, reminding them of the greatness of God, reminding them of the sinfulness of men, the beauty of the gospel. And it's against the backdrop of an old rugged cross and an empty tomb and the message of the mercies of God found in the gospel that he's pleading with them to do life together in a totally different way. That's why we've been saying this, this passage is the, the hinge of the book of Romans. Therefore, he says, I urge you in light of the run we've taken, all the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by renewing of your mind. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Life together lives out differently in response to the mercies of God. The church is a called out community living life together against the backdrop 
powered by, motivated by, pictured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we belong to each other. Church isn't just a service we attend, a building we go to. It's a body of people who belong to each other as living sacrifices, and together we form his body. And there's this sincere love, this unusual community coming together that even blesses those who persecute them, prays for those who have mistreat them, leaves vengeance to God. We looked at all that last week. Now, today, Romans 13, I thought I'd end on an easy topic. To be honest with you, I prayed Jesus would come back this week, and he didn't. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, we talk about the Christian. What's he talking about? Well, how in the world does the Christian community interact with the government? Just an easy softball, right? And that's Romans 13. If you have your Bibles, look at it with me. Let's read it and then make some observation. He said, first, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Let's just stop. That's an easy start, right? It's going to be fun. <laughs> this is interesting since our society has almost made a virtue out of rebelling against authority. To be honest with you, from Adam on, we've wanted to do our own thing. Our own American history is, you know, the, the, the tea party, right? Uh, we threw the tea in the, in, in the ocean, rebelling. Uh, even if you're a Protestant, it's like there's this sense to which, no, right? Re rebelling against authority is part of the fabric of our history. Like, what? For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, yes. Do you want to be free from the fear of one authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. What is he saying? I don't worry about a police officer when I'm going to speed limit. That's what he's saying. Like, if I'm going to speed limit, I don't worry about a police officer. He said, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for your rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary. I love that, right? It's not a suggestion. He's like, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. When it comes to government, we tend to focus on the negative. But aren't you glad that when you dial 911, someone answers? When you call EMS, somebody shows up? Aren't you glad you have roads to drive down, mails delivered, an army that defends? Like there's so many things. That's what he's saying. And then he says, verse 7, he says, Give, give, sorry I didn't click that, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Woo! I think to myself, wow, what a softball passage for a Memorial Day weekend. Let's go have some hamburgers and hot dogs, right? Uh, it begs the question. Here's the question. Why in the world is this section in here at this place? Let's go really quickly through this. I, I, I read some stuff and did some study this week. There, there, there's four possible reasons, and I think they all make sense, to be honest with you. Uh, first is this, if you're taking notes, this is a continuation of Paul's thought. He said, leave room for God's vengeance and government can be a tool to execute justice. He's saying, let justice play out. That's what he's saying. Call the police. Let the authorities handle it. That's what he's saying. So it's kind of a continuation. Leave room for God's wrath. And sometimes that's the rulers. 
I think also it's an application of Paul's teaching in the section we looked at last week. Uh, For these people he's writing to, the Roman government would have been the ones persecuting them. And do you remember what he said to them? He said, bless those who persecute you. There's a sense to which this section's kind of a application of the previous section. Uh, this was interesting. Uh, some commentator said this, John Piper, some of you know that name, he, he would contend this, that there's this uh, idea that it's a declaration by Paul of his intentions to Caesar. And it's as though he's saying, we're not a movement trying to overthrow. He's like assuming that Caesar's going to read this and he wants Caesar, Nero Caesar, to, to know that it's not their intention to overthrow the government. I found this one most fascinating, to be honest with you. It's a correction by Paul to the church. Uh, some mention this, uh, Michael Bird, others, Michael Bird is a commentator that I, or an article that I read and uh, it is a, It is an attempt by Paul to correct two extreme reactions to the government. One was zealotry, let's take up the sword, let's overthrow it. And the other was apathy. Oh, you know, we're Christians and Jesus is king and we're going to go to heaven, so it really doesn't matter. Let's act like there is no government. The fact of the matter is, Paul writes this, and I think all four of these apply. Now here's what I know. This passage is much easier to read when our guy wins. And it's easier to explain away when our team is not in office. I'll say that again. Romans 13 is way easier to read and apply when our guy wins, when our guy's in office, whoever that is. And it's much easier to explain away and say, here's the exception when our team isn't in office. Uh, Just think of the last several presidents that we've had, and it's easy for us to explain it away. We've had President Biden, before him President Trump, and before him President Obama. There's not been much controversy about any of those, right? And we think to ourselves, oh man, but Paul wouldn't have written this if he had known, right? And then all of a sudden we're like, well, what in the world context did he write in? You gotta understand this context, the rulers, the last three that they would have known, the first one would have been Caligula, 37 to 41 AD. He's unfit to have a pet, let alone run an empire, honestly. He had his mom and brother killed to make sure they didn't challenge his throne. He openly committed incest with three of his sisters. He frequently would cross-dress and go out in public. This dude installed his favorite horse as a senator and then promoted him. I don't know. He removed the heads of the gods, the statues, and he replaced them with his own. He was cruel and he was ruthless. After him was a guy named Claudius. He was a hair less crazy, but he had his own resume of cruelty. He had some of his own family killed. He was ruthless in his own right. And then he gave way to a guy that you probably have heard his name, Nero. And many think that's who is in charge when Paul is writing this. And Nero was ruthless. His mom killed Claudius in his sleep so that Nero could replace him. I mean, you want to talk about scandal in government. I mean, turns out that Nero is the cruelest and most sadistic Christian killer of all time. 
He set Rome on fire, fiddled, the, the, it says, fiddled while it was burning, and then blamed the Christians. He used to light Christians on fire and place them around his garden to light up his garden. He probably is the one who had Paul killed at the end of his life. The point is this, we've got to be careful explaining this passage away. Because Romans 13 is not restricted to a form of government, a particular system, or when a particular leader is in play. So it begs the question, and here's where I want to go for the next several minutes. Man, after we read that passage, what's the takeaway? Well, I think uh, one of the takeaways, there's a secondary audience. And this is some of you listening, those of you in government. If you have a government job, just kind of raise your hand. I can see you, kind of. <laughs> just raise your hand. If you have a government job, police, uh, you work, maybe you're a teacher, uh, maybe you're in the military, government job. I think this has a secondary uh, application for you. If you just raised your hand, you have a government job. Let me just say some things to you. First, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. You are an instrument to be used by God to distribute the common good and common grace to our society. Thank you. Your work is important and your work is instituted by God for the thriving and good of mankind, whether Christians or non-Christians. Your work has been established by God to protect us, to execute justice among us, to enforce safety around us, to provide services to us, and to cultivate the good and well-being of all people, regardless of race, gender, age, socioeconomic status, or religion. Thank you. And can I say this? Forgive us. I mean that. Forgive us for not respecting you, for not praying for you more often, for not appreciating you more readily, and even for not helping you do more that can be done. Please forgive us. We appreciate you. I think you can read that and say, wow, thank you. It's evident God has established you in your role for the good and the well-being of society. But then there's this primary audience, and that's the church. And what he's trying to teach them is this. How in the world do we live life together in this world in which we live? What is our response to the government as followers of Christ being transformed by the mercies of God? Well, let me give you a big, long sentence. We'll leave it up there a while, and then we're going to flesh it out. I think here it is. Paul is saying, recognize God's ultimate authority while you submit to the governing authorities. As followers of Christ, as a community that belongs to him, living sacrifices, being transformed, that's what he's saying. The first thing that strikes me in this passage is Paul is clearly reminding us that God is the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate authority in my life. He is sovereign over all things, and he establishes and institutes authorities. And if I start here, it aligns a lot of other things for the community of Jesus. First of all, here's what it means, that if you are a follower of Christ, you have dual citizenship. Let me show you what I mean. Philippians 3 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. Did you know that? 
and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, sovereign, will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. We are citizens of heaven first. My first allegiance is to Jesus. Jesus is my king. He is the ultimate authority in my life. A guy named Russell Moore said this. I just love this. And just write it down. Even if you're like, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. He says, we'll be Americans best when we're not Americans first. I think he's referring to this. That I am a follower of Jesus first. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven first. And I think he says, actually, when I get that right as a follower of Christ, I'm going to be a better American. As Christians, here's what we do, and it changes everything. We live with a long view. We don't just think about our life in terms of the next four years or the next 10 years, but we think about our life in terms of the next one trillion years. <laughs> That's why we can be joyful in uncertainty. We can be patient in inconvenience, and we will be faithful in prayer. You know why? Because we are citizens of heaven for the next one trillion years. I I'm like, I have a long view. But what Paul wants us to see is this. Because there's some people like, oh, that's me, man, and they don't even worry about the government. What Paul is saying is this, we are citizens of heaven for the next one trillion years, but for these 70 or 80 years, I am a citizen here on this earth in the United States of America in Akron, Ohio. I have dual citizenship. And what he's saying is it's under that umbrella, the umbrella of that reality that Paul instructs them, submit to the governing authorities because God, as the ultimate authority, has established them and instituted them to punish wrongdoing and to promote the good. That is ideally what they're to do. But even more than that, this is a response to the mercies of God for the body of Christ that we submit to the governing authorities because we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind in view of God's mercy. We submit not out of fear because they'll make our life miserable, but because of the mercies of God out of worship. It's our response to God and all that he's done. It's a common theme in, in the New Testament. Did you know that? Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in response to Christ. He says, children, I want y'all to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says, slaves, and we can even translate, employees, obey your earthly employers, masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Uh, here is a great parallel passage to the one we're looking at today. 1 Peter 2, submit yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether emperors as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It's fascinating, right? He's saying that we submit to the governing authorities out of reverence for Christ. It's an act of worship. 
So it kind of begs this question, what does it look like for us to submit to the governing authorities? Well, Paul gives us a couple ideas. This is not an exclusive list, but can I just list some? Can we just list some? Get your pen ready. Let's just write some down. Let's make some application really quick today. First is this. If we're going to submit them, we're going to treat them and talk about them with honor and respect. Go ahead and write that down. <laughs> we're going to treat them and talk about them with honor and respect. I mean, it's in this passage. Say, Give to everyone what you owe them. If taxes, pay taxes. We'll get to that. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Uh, Peter says, the parallel passage, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. I know. Hey, guys, can I just be honest with you? I will be the first to say that I am saddened. I am saddened and maybe sickened by the political dialogue that is happening in our country today. We have lost a sense of civility and a tone of respect. Paul is saying that for those who live life from the reality of the mercies of God, we treat those in authority with respect and honor them. That's what he's saying. That it's the gospel that transforms us. Even, remember who Paul's talking about here. Remember who Peter's talking about. Even if we don't agree with them. That means this, guys, when a police officer pulls me over, I'm going to talk to him with respect, to her with respect. Even if I don't think I was speeding. Even if I, right, I'm going to talk to them with respect. And I realize, like some of you might be saying, but there's some bad police officers. I realize that. I had a friend that was a police officer one time and and, and, and uh, he was talking to me about this time when these, these pastors were in the news for all these scandals and these salacious things. And, and he, the, my police officer wasn't a Christian. And he said, how do you feel about all these preachers in the news about having sex with all these people and whatever and whatnot? And, he's, and I remember I just felt like totally, like, oh my gosh, I don't. And I remember, I, this is what I said to him. I said, listen. He said, I, feel, I, feel, I said to him, I feel the same way about those guys as you probably do about police officers who go bad. Because what they can do is people can caricaturize the whole thing based on one. The fact of the matter is, if a police officer pulls me over, I'm going to talk to him with respect. When a judge walks into the courtroom, I'm going to recognize his position. When I'm in the presence of military personnel, I'm going to thank them. And when people are talking about our president, whoever that is now or will be, or other elected officials, I'm going to speak with respect for the office. Guys, that's why for the follower of Christ, let's go Brandon. It's not an option. I'm going to vote for the guy or the gal who best represents my values and worldview as I understand them from God's word, but I can do that without disparaging others. And if the other guy wins, then how I handle loss will reflect my worship of Jesus and the fact that I see him as the ultimate authority. 
I honestly believe that many people lose their mind because we've lost sight of the fact that God is the ultimate authority. And so when our guy loses, we lose our mind. I think there's a second way, maybe you write this down, pray for them and encourage them in their role. What if that's what it means to submit and honor them? Here's the way Paul says that I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he says, for kings and those in authority, that we may live a peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Well, he says, this is good and pleases God. Like he's saying, what if we begin to pray? What a challenge. Pray for them. Tell, talk to God about them. Thank God for them. And then thank them for their leadership. Send them a note. I am challenging us as a campus this weekend, and I'm challenging you online for us as a community to stop posting comments that ridicule and disrespect and stir a fire that has no point and to replace it with posting prayer in the presence of our ultimate authority. I'm sending out Facebook posts about all kinds of things into to whoever, whatever the audience is. I'm saying, what if we replace that by posting prayer on behalf of our leaders, whether we voted for them or not, in the presence of the ultimate authority? Here's the problem for many. We have elevated our politics to an ultimate and we forgot that we are citizens of heaven first. And many are losing their minds and their witness because they have an overinflated view of the government. I will tell you this too, when you think about those in leadership, some of you are in leadership, you're in government positions, those people's job looks easier when you're not sitting in that chair. Just remember that. Like leadership looks easy when you're not the leader. Their job is hard. And for us to pray for them, I would say this, another way we submit is we pay our taxes and obey the law. Can I get an amen? Amen? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. But I, I think what he's saying here is the community of Christ followers, uh, we ought to pay our taxes. We, we, we ought to follow the law of the land. I think what he's saying. Now, what I think Paul is doing here is he's borrowing from a teaching of Jesus. The whole conversation about government and our role in response to it is nothing new. Uh, there was a time when some people tried to trap Jesus in this conversation. Uh, and, and it's found in the book of Mark, and it's a fascinating story. Here's what it says. It says, uh, some of the Pharisees and Herodians tried to catch Jesus in his words. So they came to him and said, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity, right? That you aren't swayed by others. I love that, by the way. Because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. I love that. Might that be true of us? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now you can understand that's a tricky question. Because some of the, the, the money that they would have paid for tax was gone for some things that like I don't know what I agree with, right? And actually some of it would have been gone like maybe to kill some of their own people. So, so Jesus is being trapped here. Like if he says, don't pay the tax, it's like, yeah, insurrection, Jesus leading the way. If he says, pay the tax, it's like, man, that's good. Man, they used that to build the Colosseum. So Jesus being tricked. 
Jesus knew their hypocrisies. Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a Daenerys and look, let me look at it. They brought the coin, it says. I love this. And he picks up the coin. And he, he says, whose image is on this coin? Whose inscription? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, give back to Caesar with Caesar's. Give it to him. And then he says this. Give back to God what is God, God's. And they were amazed. Here's what he's saying. Let me say, tell you what he's saying. Two, two things. He's saying, be a good citizen. Pay your taxes. Obey the laws of the land. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he's saying to some of us, and this might be you, some of us feel really good right now. We're like, I'm a good citizen. I pay my taxes. I'm a good citizen. I don't have a criminal record. I, I might speed once in a while, but never when a cop's watching. <laughs> Like, I'm a good citizen, but if some of us are honest, some of us are good citizens of the United States of America, but we're not good citizens of heaven. Some of us have never rendered to God what is God's. The point Jesus is making is that coin has Caesar's image on it, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It has his image on it. But what he's saying is this. The image that you have on you and that I have on me as we've been made in the image of God. And he says, render to God what is God's. What does God want from me? 20 bucks? What's God want, a lift? What's God want? He wants you and he wants me. See, the problem is this. Many of us believe that, but we don't believe in. We believe that there is a God. We believe that the Bible is true. We believe some of the verses of the Bible and we have them on our wall. We believe that, but we've never believed in. We've never given to God what is God's. It makes me think when I was teaching my oldest boy how to swim, he was just a little pee dad. And I remember we were at this hotel and he had every flotation device known to man strapped to his body. He had never been in a swimming pool and I remember he's walking around the edge of that thing and he saw the water and I got in the water and, 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 and he believed that that water was there and he believed that those flotation devices might hold him up and he believed that his dad was in the water. And I kept calling to him, jump, I got you. Jump, trust me. You can believe what I'm saying. And he believed it. I would say, do you, do you trust daddy? Yes. Do you trust daddy? Yes. He believed that. But it wasn't until he jumped that he believed in. Some of you have never jumped. You've been going to church, listening to sermons all your life, but you've never rendered to God what is God's. And you're an incredible citizen. You're, you're, you're somebody who's worked your way up the ladder and, and, and what Jesus is saying is this, is that you can be an incredible citizen of the United States and not a citizen of heaven. And the only way for you to be a citizen of heaven is to render to God what is God's, that Jesus came and died in your place on the cross for your sin and my sin. And that by placing your faith and trust, jumping, saying yes to Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sin part of the family of God called the church with a forever hope. Heaven is your eternal home. You're a citizen of heaven. You see, some of us are good citizens of the United States, but we've never believed in. We believe that, 
one nation under God. We believe that. We believe all kinds of mottos. And Have you ever jumped in? Have you ever said yes? Now all this begs the question, well, how do you and I respond when God's commands conflict with the government's laws? It's interesting. I think in the book of Acts, we have kind of a, a help for that. In the book of Acts, uh, chapter 5, these guys were instructed not to preach in the name of Jesus. Uh, they were put in prison, and eventually some people wanted to kill them. They said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John are like, we can't. They said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Like, he's our ultimate authority. I think the principle might be this. We engage in appropriate, underline that, civil disobedience when the government commands us to do what God prohibits. So if the government said, I could not preach and teach the Bible, God is my ultimate authority. Or when it prohibits us from doing what God commands. You see, that's the, that, that is the principle. That God is the ultimate authority. And so it's a simple filter. And by appropriate, it's not like I'm marching, I'm not angry. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said this. I just interesting, I wrote it down. He said, so I've tried to make it clear that it is wrong to use immoral means to attain moral ends. But then he goes on to say, I must also affirm this just as wrong even, maybe more so, to use moral means to preserve immoral ends. I think the point is, be careful what you engage in and how you engage in it. Many Christians today are losing their witness because they fail to see that God is the one who's over government. He is sovereign. Here's the point, guys. Engage in the process? Absolutely. I hope some of you will run for office. Vote. Know what's going on. Speak the truth to those in authority? Yeah, when possible. Make an idol out of a political party or system? Never. Never. Which leads me to the next section that Paul goes to. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. This all goes together. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Remember who our ultimate authority is? He says, you want to ultimately obey the law? Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of God's law. Love is the fulfillment of God's law. I think this means that we got to be more than just a group of people who are just against things, but but we got to be for things. Like I I realize that there's a big dust up right now about a lot of things, but I think it means this: we cannot just be against abortion. We must be ready to receive children. 
We cannot just open our mouths to make a point, but we have to open our arms to make a difference. That's what he's saying. I think what Paul is saying is that people will disagree with our doctrine. Trust me. People are like, they'll disagree with us. But what I think Paul is saying is, don't ever let them question your goodness and your love. I found this quote, guys. This is worth writing down. I, I, I couldn't find out who it originated with. So if you know, you can email us. But our public witness as Christians should make people say, look at the power of their love. Not, look at how much they love power. You see how those things are twisted? He said, this is it. Well, why? Why is that the key? Why is that the power? Well, look at how he ends and then we're done. Verse 11. He says, and do this, understanding the present time. Get your head out of the sand. The hour's already come for you to wake up, quit sleeping from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. Night's nearly over. I think he's like, man, day's almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness. Remember, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, and not in dissension and jealousy. Be careful. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I, I, I didn't really know how to quite condense this, but I think he, the point is don't misuse your Bible as a backup for your already predetermined positions. Instead, show them Jesus. The Bible and the purpose of the Bible is to point to Jesus. John 5, you look it up. This thing front to back is about Jesus. And I think what he's saying is this. Show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. Clothe yourselves with Christ. So what's the application? Well, maybe for some of us, go home, pay our taxes. <laughs> Be a good citizen. Follow the laws of the land. Maybe a second application easy is just engage in the process. If you don't vote, start voting. We have a unique opportunity in our country. Some of you need to run for office. Pay attention to what's happening. Uh, maybe one we all can apply right now, and I double-dog dare us to do, is will you begin praying for the president? Whether you voted for him or not. For those in Congress, the local government, teachers, other government employees, will you begin doing that? Will you join me in doing that? I think another application is I need to begin recognizing God's ultimate authority in a way that rests in his sovereignty. I'm not going to be losing my mind. And I'm going to recognize I'm a citizen of heaven first. Which leads to this. I need to ask myself, have I ever rendered to God what is God's? You see, I think what Paul is saying is, will you take a run with me? And he's running through the battlefield of the greatness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the beauty of the gospel. And he's saying, there is a God who loves you so much, so much that he gave his life for you so that you could be forgiven of all the sin in your life so that he could invite you into his family called the church 
and so that you could be a citizen of heaven. And that, my friend, can be your reality today. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for the one listening that has never said yes to Jesus, that right there in their living room, right there in the car, they would say, God, I believe you love me. I believe I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. And today I am saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just now, I'd love for you to email me. I'd love for you to call the office. I'd love for you to somehow let us know that. But God, we want to pray that we as a community of followers would be people who recognize you are the ultimate authority while we respond to governing authorities in a way that shows that we live from lives being transformed by the renewing of our mind because of the mercies of God. We pray for our president. Help him. Help him to be aware of your presence. God, I pray that you would help him as he is talking to families who are hurting this week in Texas. God, I, I can't imagine. God, I pray for those in Congress, those in local government. I pray for our police chief here in Norton, our mayor. God, I pray for the city council. God, help them have discernment. Give them help in jobs that are bigger than any of us understand. God, help us to be an encouragement to them. Help us to clothe ourselves with Christ Jesus. And I pray that people would be amazed at the power of our love, not our love for power. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.